Welcome to the Friday Five here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and this is our weekly list of five things you should know about. We've got a great list this week. Really excited to get into some statistics about the financial health of Medicare beneficiaries. But before we get to that, I have to mention that next Tuesday is Mardi Gras. It's also Shrove Tuesday, and that means that in my neck of the woods, it is Fosnot season. They are delicious donut-like delicacies that my father's parish has been making since I was a little girl. It is something I look forward to every year, and this year is definitely no exception. So if you find yourself in that same boat, maybe it's not Fosnots, it could be pancakes, muffaletta, or king cake, I hope you get to enjoy those this weekend as well. Number one on our list, Google announced that their chatbot, Bard, would now be known as Gemini. They also announced a new subscription tier that allows U.S. customers to pay $20 a month for, quote, better reasoning capabilities, end quote. The company also announced a new standalone Gemini app for Android, and then Apple users can access Gemini through the Google app. And while all of that is certainly exciting, in even bigger news, Google has added Gemini AI technology to Google Assistant. So if you've been itching to have a conversation with the artist formerly known as Bard, You can do that now with your Google smart speaker. So join me in saying so long to Bard. Feels like we barely knew thee. Number two. In addition to Tuesday's holidays, Wednesday of next week also happens to be Valentine's Day. And that means we are down to one weekend of shopping left. I know we plan to go out and get our class valentines this weekend, as well as a couple other surprises. But I thought I would mention a few ideas here, and we'll start with some of the ideas I'm looking forward to for my Valentine's Day wishes. The Remarkable 2 digital ink tablet has definitely caught my eye. Part of me wishes there was a smaller version, more in line with a typical journal size that I could carry around in my purse a little more comfortably, but I already have a Kindle, so I'm not sure that I could justify buying another one. And despite the fact that I know the design of the Kindle Scribe is meant to be functional, that room to hold it on the left-hand side rather than the screen being completely flush Not sure how I feel about that. And I do have to add something that Tina mentioned while editing this episode. It's not really friendly for left-handers. On the more reasonable side of my wish list, I am never opposed to a bouquet of flowers, but I do have a cat that views them as an open salad bar. So because of that, I've been appreciating the Lego line of flower bouquets, And I think it would be fun to build those with my daughter as a fun memory. On the more practical side, time to soak in the bathtub while reading a good book. That is something that goes such a long way. And then, of course, dinner that I don't have to cook or clean up after. Always love that. 
gifts that I personally recommend, those satin pillowcases that you see on just about every gift list for her for Valentine's Day or really any other holiday, they're actually amazing. Everyone in my family loves them, even my husband. Perfume or cologne is always a great gift, especially if it's their favorite and they don't have to buy it for themselves. Same goes for jewelry. It can feel a little cliche on Valentine's Day, depending on what you get. I recommend gifting something that they've been hinting about, something maybe that's personalized with their initials or a timeless classic. For kids, I try to cut down on the sweets for Valentine's Day and give everything but chocolate. Big fan of gifting books, craft projects, and the occasional stuffed animal. Probably do need to put a ban on squishmallows in my house, though, because they are absolutely everywhere. And then, of course, experience-based gifts, like a night out to their favorite restaurant, seeing a movie, going to a museum. Those can be really personalized as well. Just make sure to include a little something for the now, like a small box of candy or even just a single rose. We will have more ideas linked in the episode notes, so if you need some more ideas, definitely check those out. Number three, while it's not every day that we get a TikTok trend that applies to our industry, it does seem to be happening more often lately. This most recent one could have some staying power. I think that the fact we're starting to have more conversations around it is a good thing. We're talking about finances, and spoiler alert, we will be for the rest of this episode. Sometimes that is just the way our Friday Five works out. Sometimes that's the way the news cycle goes after we get an update from the Fed like we did last week. Call it what you want it. But the TikTok trend we're talking about is something called loud budgeting. And yes, it is one part made-up TikTok term, but there's more than just novelty here. It's meant to be the opposite of quiet luxury, the practice of understated elegance that often requires spending a lot of money. It's also meant as a foil to overspending, something that social media inspires with several different categories of influencer content. Loud budgeting is letting people know that you can't afford to do something because you're budgeting for something else. You're trying to pay down your credit card debt. You're doing the debt snowball. Maybe you're saving up for a car. Or perhaps you want to take your extended family to Disney. The point of loud budgeting, as it's used on TikTok, is to normalize talking about budgeting and living within your means. And that's a bit counterintuitive to what we typically see on social media. Financial experts are absolutely thrilled. They are having a moment and a half on social media right now. And On one hand, yes, it's a bit silly that every aspect of life is reduced to being named and categorized on TikTok. I mentioned this on threads the other day, that it feels a little weird because my generation, which is late X rising millennial, we thought outside of the box all the time because we didn't like labels or categories. But now we're admittedly in a different era 
and if we're going to narrate our own lives 24-7, we need language to be able to talk about it. So we get things like loud budgeting because it's a quick soundbite that explains a lot in a little bit of time. But on the other hand of the cultural zeitgeist, loud budgeting feels very now. We've been dealing with inflation for a while. Student loan payments are back in full effect. The cost of everything is more expensive, especially with interest rates at the level they're at. So let's just normalize talking about budgeting and our finances. And there are a couple of takeaways here. Stay with me. I promise I'm going somewhere. The first, if you've got a partnership with a financial professional, think about helping them to hold an educational budgeting seminar for your clients and community. Then, later on this year, during Medicare annual enrollment or the ACA open enrollment period, you can hold educational healthcare seminars for their clients and community. And then if you're not partnered with a financial professional, take some time to find a few in your local market and start a conversation. Number four, this is a quick mention, but a nice bridge between normalizing budget talk and our main story this week. A recent Gallup poll was conducted to see how many Americans knew their health care costs in advance. Transparency in healthcare pricing is a very hot topic these days. And as it turns out, for good reason, because the poll reported that just 17% of U.S. adults knew how much a healthcare product or service would cost before receiving them. 79% responded that no, they did not know the cost. And then the remaining about 4% said in general, just they did not know. Respondents were also asked if they thought healthcare organizations should tell them the cost of a service or product ahead of time. 95% said yes, 3% said no, and another 2% responded that they did not know. There are a couple of other interesting responses in that survey, and we'll certainly be linking to it in the notes so you can check it out for yourself. I think for me, the most interesting takeaway is that this shows there's an opportunity for you as an agent to be as transparent as you can be about the healthcare expenses you know they'll face up front. Clearly, that is information that they want. And I know there's not a universal price list that we can access online and print out or link to in a new enrollment kit. It would be fantastic if that did exist. But I think making sure we're doing what we can on our end to aid in that price transparency is really important. And continuing our talk about finances, that moves us quite nicely to number five on our list and the top story this week. KFF recently reported on data compiled by the Urban Institute's Dynamic Simulation of Income model in regards to the income and assets of Medicare beneficiaries in 2023. Understanding what your clients are working with financially is huge when it comes to helping them find the Medicare plan that is the best 
fit for them. One of the biggest contrasts in healthcare spending for the over 65 set when compared to those of us under the age of 65 and still working, as reported by KFF, healthcare spending makes up a much larger portion of their monthly budget. And then, of course, most Medicare beneficiaries are retired and they're budgeting on a fixed income. This report takes a look at the financial health of Medicare beneficiaries, delivering stats on income, savings, and equity, and then breaks down how those amounts shift based on gender and race. I think these stats are a great way to get a snapshot of the current beneficiary pool, especially for agents just starting out in the Medicare space. It's also a great starting point when you're beginning your research for a client. Then, as you fact-find in your meetings with those beneficiaries, you can really start to narrow down options. So, first up in the report, income. In 2023, 25% of Medicare beneficiaries were living on an income below $21,000 per person. 50% had an income below $36,000, and then 5% had incomes above $138,500. The data showed that income decreased for Medicare beneficiaries in the 75 to 84-year-old range, as well as those over the age of 85. Income was lower for men than women, And it was also lower for Black and Hispanic beneficiaries than white beneficiaries. Moving over to look at savings, 10% of Medicare beneficiaries in 2023 had no savings or were in debt. 25% of beneficiaries had savings below $16,950 per person. 50% had savings below $103,800. Now, breaking these stats down further, white Medicare beneficiaries had a median of $158,950 in savings. Black Medicare beneficiaries had a median of $22,100 in savings. Hispanic Medicare beneficiaries had $20,050 saved. Female Medicare beneficiaries had a median of $90,850 in savings per person, while male Medicare beneficiaries had $120,450 in savings. And again, we saw a decrease in savings for the 75 to 84-year-old age group, down a little over $40,000 to $104,800. For those age 85 and older, their median savings dropped considerably to $44,250 per person. On the home equity front, 25% of Medicare beneficiaries had no home equity in 2023. 50% had less than $124,450 in home equity. Breaking this one down further, 
white Medicare beneficiaries had $156,400 in home equity in 2023. Hispanic Medicare beneficiaries had $35,800 worth of home equity. Black Medicare beneficiaries had $25,200 in home equity. And then for gender, some evidence of females living longer, with home equity for males coming in at a median of $116,050 while female Medicare beneficiaries had $131,650 in home equity in 2023. There are a few other stats in that report that are definitely worth looking into a little bit further. You can certainly see the top 1% and 5% for each of those categories, but for the most part, Medicare beneficiaries have modest incomes. They're living on a budget and they don't necessarily have a lot of financial resources to draw on. Again, we'll be linking to that KFF study in our notes. Also there, one that didn't quite make the cut for this week's episode, you'll find a link to their recent report on why the Medicare Advantage market is growing. It includes some reasons why beneficiaries seek out and choose Medicare Advantage coverage. Definitely worth taking a look at that as well as everything else that we have mentioned here today. But that does it for this week and this episode. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there. And we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing, an integrity company. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing and fact check by Tina Lamaru. Podcast designed by Urban Rivera. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. Follow along with us wherever you like to listen.